Welcome to Military Reunion Network Radio. I'm Sharon Danachek, your host. Thanks for stopping by and joining us for today's podcast episode. I wanted to uh, welcome Dan Miller. He is with the Best Best Western Hotel Group, um, and he is a multi-property sales manager, and you're in North Carolina, right? Oh, I wish. I'm in Connecticut, where it's so oh. cold. We have snow on the ground. But I have a property in North Carolina that I oversee that you and I were speaking about. That's and that's how we serendipitously met. That's true. That's true. Okay. So I just wanted to say, first off, that this conversation that we're having about the hospitality industry is reflective of your personal experience and your personal views. This does not, this is not Best Western. You are not representing the corporation. This is just you and I talking. Um, about the industry. And so I always like to start with you and your background and how you got into the hospitality industry. So let's start there. Absolutely. And just, I'd be remiss if I didn't say thank you, Sharon. And it's a pleasure to do this with you and to get to know you better and to have an avenue to discuss topics like this, because to answer your question and to lead into that a bit, I, uh, 42 this year and I, got my first job in what we call the hospitality industry when I was 15, you know? So, um, you know, working as a busboy at a seasonal ski lodge and then learning how to cook and serve and clean and hustle and fling drinks and go to college and get a hotel management degree. And then um, I was able to live in Dublin, Ireland and Boston and work in the operation side of hotels and front desk and valet and more restaurants. So I, you know, the path was young and not necessarily intended, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it became, it was born out of a love of um, food, which I, which still rules my life and all my decisions in my days yeah. and travel um, and people and, um, you know, hotels, even as a little kid, just staying in motels. So just, it was, it was definitely a personal passion early on. And then finding jobs in our industry was easy mm-hmm. and plentiful and you could start them young and you could do it after school and you could do it on weekends. So right. that led up all the way through school. I did. I went to college in Plattsburgh State University in New York, got a bachelor's degree in hotel management and was working already in my industry six years by the time I graduated mm-hmm. and uh, then started in management in hotel operations, like your front desk arenas and some banquet and food and beverage management. And I was really young, you know, in my twenties leading teams. And then I, I wanted to move in sales and events because I just wanted to be part of more of the macro and have better schedules, have better life balance, be more business focused. So I did. And I think I was in my mid twenties when I was living in Eugene, Oregon, worked at Hilton Eugene and conference center, ended up going to, and I think me and you talked about this. I was at Valley river Inn, which is a, a great, and I think it's still called that, but I was there for five or six years, ultimately as a director of sales and marketing, overseeing like a team of 10. And, and this is around 2005, six. And, you know, so I was like 27 or eight. And, um, you know, leading a large team, 15,000 square feet of banquet space, 267 guest rooms, kind of a destination property built by a logging family. It was my still to this day, one of my most favorite experiences in sales, because I was in a town like Eugene, 
hosting all the visiting teams to the University of Oregon, so becoming right. a college football fan, which yeah. was a real surprise to me, but still am. Go Ducks, I guess I have to say that. I'm sorry, you probably hate that. Um, That's, okay. But, That's okay. We'll edit that part out. <laughs> so in that experience, yeah, just, you know, I ended up being a director of sales, and then I moved back east where I was from, but uh, working on properties, director of sales till, uh 2018 so it's really on property sales from 2005 to 2018. so then were you, I, I was i was gonna say where were you when um covid hit so when COVID hit, yeah yeah great question so by then I had moved remotely to multi-property sales, which was a goal to kind of get off property at a company called Jackarusso Enterprises, which back then was really one of the few places that you could get a job doing remote hotel multi-property sales. Mm -hmm. So I kind of sought them out, I got the job. And then yes, so I started with them in November, 2018. And then COVID happened, um, what, March, 2020, right? Yeah. So yeah, so let's just say uh, I parted ways uh, and started my own LLC right after COVID to support properties that had to pretty much obliterate their sales teams because of what happened. I love that. You know, I, love I had that. to survive. We... I was single. I had a mortgage. <laughs> yeah. Know. No, no. I mean, I think that that's brilliant. I mean, we had, um, you know, MRN, it just, it was, it was really hard during COVID and, and, you know, you know, planners are reaching out, suppliers are reaching out, nobody's kind of knowing what to do. And um, it's kind of as the, I call us the mothership, you know, as the mothership, you just kind of feel as though you need to be in your chair, but, but yeah. there's also that, you know, I didn't feel like that was, a, I, I could leave, you know, yeah. just because veterans were calling saying, you know, our, our contract, our, our hotel closed. I mean, right, like, right. like completely closed. We, we don't know what to do. And so it was just, it was kind of helping both the reunion planners, the veterans and, and the supplier partners kind of navigate kind of like from a macro view, like you were saying, kind of what is happening. But there had been conversation about um, doing exactly what, what you were doing. So I just think it's, it is, brilliant it's absolutely brilliant and and desperately that service was so desperately needed um yeah, yeah. <laughs> every industry was turned upside down because of covid but really the hospitality industry it just obliterated, just obliterated. <laughs> uh, yeah thank Definitely you stated. thank you yeah. i know and, and so so from covid you know people started to figure it out um i don't know what happened for for you but um, from the macro level, this was really interesting. Um, we had a supplier partner in Albuquerque, New Mexico, that uh, shared with me that it was against the law to have a buffet. And mm -hmm. in, in, I mean, it was it was like you could not. I, mean, I think we lost our ever loving minds, honestly, because it, we just it's you you. you so many things that we normally did you just couldn't do but it was by law you weren't allowed to do it i hope I they took the law off the books so yeah or by hotel policy because they didn't want the risk so it wasn't always it wasn't very right. clear right. i don't think 
Look, just like regulation, it, it, it was too much information, too fast, and you know what I mean? So food and beverage, I think, has always been a, what do they say in, your, in Europe or England, a sticky wicket, because it's a lot of staffing and layers, and you need numbers, yeah. and it's food, and the price changes. If look at what it's doing now to eggs and tomatoes. So I think if there was a way to retain business and shy away from food and beverage altogether and focus on guest room sales, that was certainly ideal. But everyone recognizes mm -hmm. the value of, you know, the catering and rooms together and events and whatnot. So it's right, coming back right. somewhat gloriously, but that what you just described gave me anxiety because it, it was Sorry. more, no, 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 that's <laughs> okay. It was more uh, because I think it's, it changed everything forever <laughs> for, mm -hmm. for everyone. And it didn't stop, you know, it certainly didn't stop with us and our business, but it, um, it was very, it was the most restrictive part of things during COVID is if you were representing a property that had catering and banquet space and the yeah. food sales. Guest rooms are an even easier navigable situation across the board. Right. Um, and I myself would say in my long career, I've been primarily focused on guest room sales. Yeah. So I don't know if you knew this about my background, but I was, I told you I was a old hotel sales girl. So yes, you're for, one of us and you escaped. We're so envious of people like yeah. you. What do they do? I just, I just went to the different side, uh, you know, but, but still, yeah. yeah, but I didn't have the operation side that you did. I just, mm. I went it's into hotel so sales. Invaluable. It's been so invaluable to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that, I'm sure that the, the, um, property operations team really appreciates your mm -hmm. background because you've been in the trenches and, um, they do. You know, talking about COVID, um, and we're going to move off of that in just a second, but talking about COVID has been, was really kind of interesting to me um, to follow the trade publications. And when you're following the trade publications, you start to see trends. You know, hotel contracts have all uh, completely changed. Food and beverage service and the way things are served, the menus, the pricing have all changed. Um, you know, training and staffing is a huge, huge issue article that I'll email to you that um, I just opened from uh, Hotel News Now or Hotel News Resource mm -hmm. talking about the staffing levels. 80% of the hotels still say that they're below staff. And so, you know, how how are you navigating that? What are you seeing with your properties and, and how are they navigating all of that? Yeah, I mean, it's no surprise that it's, a, it's still a significant challenge, if not the most significant challenge. And as a lifer, and you know this too, I think it's always been on the short list of challenges anyway. So we've navigated, mm -hmm. like we always have, <laughs> the best right. we can, right? Right. And, and getting the best management team that you know is going to show up no matter what and having consistency and leadership. And, um, you know, if you're a true hospitality person, it's always up and down, whether it's COVID or economic collapse or yeah. you know i mean it is we i think we knew that going in i was in college in 2000 and you know during 9 11. so mm -hmm. um staffing is affected by so many of these factors and what we're doing now is we're just really uh focusing on what we know um we're being honest about what type of business to go after so that we can service it effectively without overextending ourselves and putting us in a situation yeah. where it's not mutually beneficial 
And right. if that means sometimes you don't go after an opportunity and don't seek revenue, um, I think that's important. I think as salespeople, we have to make sure that the puzzle piece fits and right. that we're not just pumping potential revenue potential because it's not revenue till they leave <laughs> right. into a property because we really need revenue, right? Um, because, it, you know, so I think that's it. And like I said, you know, guest room sales and working for Best Western and in my specific portfolio, not having a ton of meeting and banquet space, though I have done that in my career. Um, we've been fortunate to have sufficient staffing for the most part because uh -huh. we don't have a ton of layers of outlets. You were right. speaking about going into, um, and I always like these full service hotels that have, and it's kind of like a model without their makeup on because it's like right. seven outlets closed, outdoor pool, not ex and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't you thought about it that way, but yeah. Yeah, but Best Western, like we are families and sports teams and we are weddings and we are your construction workers, but we're also your business travelers hustling on the road. And I love that about our brand. I right. love that about right. our chain and our family of brands uh -huh. is that we do know who we are. We've been around like 76 years. So yeah. I find working for them has always been like, we were, we're not a mirage or we're not trying to be like something we're not. So at Best Western, we know who we are and who we serve and, and we're, we're families and we're construction workers and we're weddings and we're sports teams and we're military reunions, you know, and we're the business traveler who's hustling across America. And we love that. And in our 76 year history, we've always been successful there. Um, not that we don't want, you know, more business and more opportunities, but I think that has to the staffing level question, yeah. Our our properties are mid-size and they're not too outlet heavy. And we have some wonderful members and owners who really show up for their properties. Um, yeah. You know, and we communicate and we just we, you know, we all put a little extra time in as we've always done to try and keep the ship afloat and keep our yeah. guests happy. So when you and I were talking on the phone, which kind of prompted this conversation to happen, one of the things that I brought up is because you and I have been in the trenches for a while, um, <laughs> we we both were in at our respective hotels during 9-11. And, yeah. oh. and so, you know, that was that was a first when everything- well, I was in college. Know. I was in college during 9-11 as a hotel college student in my, I think, senior year. Okay. And we all went to all class right. that morning. So I talked about how this would affect our, we were all graduating that summer, not to be selfish, right. you know, but right. there was all, and then how, you know, just seeing uh, the, the aftermath of it, but I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say that being, being um, a director of sales on property in um, the suburbs of Seattle. I was I was in Snohomish County, so which is which is north of of Seattle. So um, we we learned some things after 9/11. And during 9/11, granted, it was a very very um, <laughs> much shorter window of time that everything stopped. Mm -hmm. um, but we dropped rate, and it mm -hmm. took. Um, trade publications were estimating it took about three years to bring the rates back up. And so during COVID, I feel as though the industry kind of um, learned their lesson about, you know, panicking, doing a rate panic and dropping rates to entice business. Um, and so I didn't, I, I just kind of wanted to get your take on, on, you know, kind of general strategies that you kind of felt 
kind of became into play, I guess, with COVID or or was it just kind of roll with it and we'll see what happens? No, you're spot on because there was a definite, I mean, if you, 2022 will go down as some of the most profitable years for many, many, many hoteliers, which Mm -hmm. probably would surprise a lot of people, but, and, and most of that growth was in rate. And I don't have all my star data facts in front of me, but I'm sure that supports that in most or many markets. Uh, It was justified or doable because there was a ton of pent up demand. (laughs) You know, the desire to connect and travel again was so, so big for so, so many. And um, costs were huge. And I think everyone knew that. There was a certain amount of money circulating through the economy, whether it came federally or you were saving all winter because you didn't go anywhere for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I saw rates of properties that blew my mind, you know, that were really, you know, like, wow. Um, so it went where it could go. And that is what we do as revenue and salespeople. We test it. We see what our competitors are doing. We look at, you know, what's on the books and you just, you could see yeah. it. And not everywhere, but if you were in a leisure market or a, a major urban destination, you were seeing it. Now, to the extent that, you know, there was a huge corporate decline though too, but again, if you were in a chain or situation where you weren't overly reliant on just the corporate customer, there was mm-hmm. other business to be had and we had it yeah. and then pumped right on top of it. Absolutely. That You know, it's funny because military reunions, two things, very, very specific things happened. They either, the reunion planners took their reunions into the bunker to wait it out, Mm -hmm. or they said the hell with it. We survived Agent Orange. We survived Nam. We don't care. We're meeting. And so they didn't meet because by law, they couldn't meet in their normal 100, 150, you know, 75 groups, they um, met in smaller pockets and smaller regional. And so they, they were able to still connect within the COVID, um, the COVID restrictions that were, were in place at the time. And so they had a ball. I mean, they, they really, really had a good time. Um, And that segment's always been a joyful, part of the leisure group segment that we've enjoyed working with and at me multiple brands across many decades and the type of uh partnerships where that would be a long-term customer if you took care of them and we would go to lunch together and you know it was it's and again from a hotel or supplier side as you know midweek you know was flexible on when they would travel and be available so yeah so i think it's a it's it remains a great segment for for the for the industry for sure. So, so I have another question for you, and um, and this I have to I have to preface it by saying you don't have to answer if you don't want to. Okay. But have there been conversations, and has there been a review of your hotel agreements that you're sending out for group that you know based on things that you've learned um as a business in the middle of covid have you have you you know how have how have contracts been upgraded or updated and and yeah. what are the new things that are in what are that are in the contracts yeah i think it's i think they become more flexible you know i think there's more the reality is and you'll see and you see this in the airline business too 
that while COVID may have subsided to some extent, you know, there are still uh, a lot of challenges that are going on that would almost always fall under force majeure anyway, or your act of mm -hmm. God clause that prevents something from happening. So what it comes down to is, is what we find is that if you can come up with a realistic cancellation window, which is probably your 30, 60 day, maybe 90 day window, as, a, as opposed to from the moment you sign it, you know, a year ago um, for, you know, so, and again, it, it, that's going to depend. Right. I will preface that by saying depend on market size, demand of the destination, but, you know, um, where, you know, because sometimes, you know, again, if you hold the cards and all the demands coming your way, you will make stricter contracts or you will be more selective about those that aren't sure. Right. So you have to evaluate every piece of business. But by and large, the hotel industry being service focused has always tried to be flexible and understand that events are, mm -hmm. are not a perfect science and attendance of those events aren't. So what you should do, what many of us do is you try and really come up with a very realistic cancellation window that people feel comfortable with where the client feels, I can plan under that window and the supplier feels, if you didn't pick them all up, I'd have chance to maybe push them again and resell it right. again, you know? And right. then I think on the, um, yeah, and then having some sort of maybe fair attrition, like, okay, if, if we can't say we're going to pick up 80%, can we say that it's 70%? Right. Um, right. Or being flexible about attrition clauses, I think is key. And, and giving us a little bit of flexibility on, on cutoff date. Um, if you can have a little bit more turnout, because people don't like to make plans 45 to 60 days out. Mm -hmm. I think it, it has required me, may I just say, as a sales professional to ask more questions and listen more to yep. what my customer needs are, what they're going through. And again, is it a good fit? And if we feel it is, how do we package the proposal yeah. to address, address and, and, and then, then ultimately the contract? And one of the things that i found again from this macro level you know because we're i'm reading trade publications there's i'm talking to industry experts in the in the hospitality industry all the time um you know hospitality industry attorneys you know and so there's there's a um, it, some hotel contracts are trying to put in um language that says things like you know hey you're booking two years out, three years out, whatever the time frame is in the future. Um, and we reserve the right, um, depending upon marketing market conditions to change the rates in the contract. Right. Which I think is just absurd. Yeah, I remember I used to do multi-year, listen to me talking. I used to do back when, you know, uh, in the old days, um, we would have like a percentage an annual percentage clause that said the growth of this discounted rate would grow at this per annum or something like that. Yeah. But again, I think it, I think, again, <laughs> I've worked for so many brands and, and there, there's so much uniqueness and people can design contracts and then you have the state, you know, and all the different laws and regulations. And some of it is straight up policy, the hotel's policy, which also flies if that's what they want to do. Right. Um, but there's all this, fear about cost now more than there used to be and right. rightfully so because you see what's going on so with the cost of eggs and how a breakfast for 75 people could be very expensive and it erodes the rate in a breakfast inclusive. so i have to give sympathy to my people and say it's it's probably born out of that 
lack of 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 um, certainty yeah. <laughs> more than ever about what the cost of goods and and labor will be and food will be. Mm-hmm. So, however, I don't know how well, how you as a planner <laughs> navigates and budgets that, you know. Right. So is the happy medium some sort of percentage increase that we agree on year over year or something like that in those type situations? Or do we need to understand that we need to come up with a price or do we shorten our booking window and and don't book 2025, 2026 if your property can't price it yet, maybe. These are all, again, my free thinking ideas. It all depends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that that we had also talked about and you you, you touched on it a little bit is inflation. So now that now that COVID is, I, I hesitate to say in the rearview mirror because, you know, mm-hmm. the minute you say it, it inflation. isn't. But I know um, is now there. Yeah. Um, but now we are now we are dealing with a couple of other issues. And this is specific to military reunions. So, of course, we have inflation and that's that's impacting everybody but we're also dealing with um destination perception and let me let me give you the example of that um and i think that we talked about this a little bit on the phone but uh, one of the questions i i i I, uh, do a survey every year and on the survey i ask the question of of veterans that are planning their military reunions how has the way a state has handled the COVID crisis impact your decision on going there or not going there? And I found that a lot of reunion planners, when they answered the question, they were not going to states that had a stricter COVID policy. You know, in the state of Washington, our governor, you know, at a moment's notice, ready to shut everything back down. It was just, it just you know, yes. it was con- yeah. concern for health. And so there was a lot of reunion planners that did not want to have their reunion vulnerable to the decisions of the governor on the way that they handle COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, So there might be less people coming to Washington and more people going to South Dakota or Florida or another state that is, um, was taking a less political approach, I guess. Um, So that was kind of one, that was kind of one of the things that I don't know if you experience that with, with your properties or not as well. I'm thinking of where mine are located. So I've got a nice gamut. I've got North Carolina. I've got New Jersey. I have New York. I have Louisiana. Um, I had Missouri. Um, for sure. Yes. And I don't even want to use the term politically political because that's not where we're going here, but right. I feel a lot of people probably make a lot more decisions politically based than they did previously. And I, I do think that regulation and all that weighs, weighs on a lot of decision making, again, more than previously. So yeah. have I directly seen it? No, not really. Probably because, again, suburban destinations, non-banquet space, mm-hmm. you know, and um, uh, I mean, markets are all uh, are busy or not busy for all types of reasons or people are right. choosing them or not choosing them for all types of reasons. So I wouldn't want to put a lot of extra air into that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of indifferent on that one. Um, I didn't, I didn't really experience, I experienced just trying to uh, get any business, but it would be interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, we all know how well the Florida properties, 
Mm -hmm. you know, with beaches and sunshine and open. So, I mean, and, and no masks. And, and no masks. So, I guess what I'm saying is, is if that wasn't a concern to you, then of course you would go and take your group to the state or the place or the city that wasn't regulated. However, if you wanted to meet and were more concerned about right. regulations, there were there were states that were doing that and allowing meetings to go forth under certain conditions. So some may have been chosen for it, some may have not been chosen for it. Yeah. Um, as somebody who represented across regions of America, everyone was needed business at one point or another. Nothing was ideal right. in the short term. Right. So I think we were scrambling all over to get everything we could, you know, and um, you know. We were successful in some places and, and just, you know, still lacking in others. <laughs> yeah. Um, have the businesses, has the, I know that you're, you, you had talked about the corporate market. Have, um, is the corporate travel, the individual and group travel in the corporate world coming back? Are you seeing it as the trade publications are saying? Definitely more, more so in the last three to six months than we were you know, since spring of 2020. And I do believe the infrastructure spending is 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 noteworthy because there's definitely a lot of construction going. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a state that may, you know, is has a project going on, um, something to tap into uh, for sure. So uh, what we like to call that blue collar travel, we see picking yeah. up with, with some nice momentum. And we're so right. glad to see that, you know, we're so yeah. glad to see and, um, you know, I think your white collar traveler and the white collar group traveler, I hear <laughs> is going into the luxury segment, you know, in more regularity, at more regularity. And I, I, I hear, you probably know the, the stats a little bit better on that than I do. Um, but it's, not, it's so no longing to what we saw it, you know, before all this happened. And yeah. now with, what is it, remote work increasing 13 fold or something? Right, what it, right. What it may look like, and I, I'd love it maybe at another time to pick your brain about banquets and meetings and that segment of it. Um, mm -hmm. Because I, I hope there's still desire to meet and to travel on a corporate level. Um, but I think I think you know I will say we just attended our winter conference at Best Western and what we're all working hard at is getting more corporate midweek business to our hotels, whether it be through point promotions or discounts or you know a more tailored um, room and service package. We're mm -hmm. certainly evaluating where our brands stand to capture that business, specifically the extended stay segment. Right. Um, is a nice opportunity in the corporate segment because you still see folks who are needing places and are project managers for extended periods of time. So yeah. lots of opportunity there. And I'm sure yeah. you've, you've read that or seen that too. Um, well, I have been just been focused, uh, you know, from from my lens, it's all, it's a very, very, very narrow lane of military reunions and veterans. Sure. And so it's nice to not have to worry about all of the other markets. Um, so one of the last questions is, uh, looking in the crystal ball, what does that look like to you? How is business going to be in the next couple of years? I don't know, and nobody does, because we are in um, once-in-a-life events happen every six months now, or at least we're just more aware of them. <laughs> Maybe they always did, but they disrupt 
the buying pattern and planning patterns of everyone when war and inflation and political or social unrest or cost um, are still such, you know, things still feel uncertain, maybe not for COVID. So as long as that, as long as the general psyche of, and I can only speak domestically because I work with American properties in the American is to be a little hesitant. I don't think we know what we, what we are seeing in the first quarter of 2023 is it's not as robust and spend heavy, if you will, as it was moving into 2022, which makes sense if you start to figure out year over year and more of that pent up demand. Yeah. Uh, optimism, military reunions, here and coming back and growing, yay. Yeah. Can't wait to work yeah. with you. Two, yeah. um, associations and groups that maybe weren't on an annual rotation, you know, they may not have met last since like 2019. Mm -hmm. So a lot of hotels are now enjoying these again. You know, we have a Jehovah's Witness conference that's like selling out a hotel of ours in North Carolina that we haven't seen in ages. So yeah. bringing our friends back who either due to rotation or just the COVID mess actually affecting three years of events, bringing those folks back to the wedding market, which saw some nice uh, increases last year. Um, I think people are feeling even better about at least being able to plan a wedding and get folks there to attend it. And yeah. people are certainly still winning, willing to put out money for their friends and their families' weddings. Yeah. Um, but then we see a lot of great opportunity in social. And on the corporate side, that blue collar momentum um, is looking good. So we're always optimistic and there's always business out there, as we say. And we're yeah. just fine tuning our brands and our service and our product to meet the moment. And I, I do know there's a lot of renewed focus at Best Western to get back out there and make sure that properties have the support or the plan to get up to par on service and product. Dan, this has been such a great conversation. It's been super fun to talk with somebody that's been in the hospitality trenches their whole career, and um, you bring such passion to the conversation. Um, so I just wanted to thank you for taking the time and uh, sharing your perspective on what's going on with the industry right now. I really appreciate it. Oh, Sharon, thank you so much uh, for inviting me here today, and I, I genuinely enjoyed it, and I appreciate it. And if I could just end by saying um, thank you to the veterans and the servicemen and women listening today, and uh, just know that uh, I <laughs> have enjoyed over two and a half decades working with various uh, veteran organizations, military unions, and have enjoyed the relationships I've built. And, uh, many events that I've, I've been able to assist in planning over the years. So just wanted to extend my gratitude to those listening. Thank you. And speaking of our veteran community, I wanted to thank you so much for your service and your continued volunteerism in keeping your reunions going. We really appreciate it. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for joining us today, and we will see you next time.